My name is Sarah, and I'm a nine. My name is Chad, and I'm a six. I'm Kimberly, and I'm a four. At Work Wisdom, we use both ancient and modern practices to help people and organizations become the best versions of themselves. The Enneagram, much like mindfulness, is one of the ancient practices we use, which aid in self-awareness and behavior change. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Colantonio. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. So today, we're really grateful. We have Chad Martin from Partners for Sacred Places and Kimberly Pfeiffer, uh, Work Wisdom Spiritual Director, joining us today. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming. Hey there, Sarah. Hi. Thanks for having us. So Kimberly, I I know you use the uh, Enneagram extensively. In fact, the other day, Chad, you don't know this, but I just had my Enneagram debrief with Kimberly and uh, learned a lot about being a nine. But I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the origins. Yeah. Um, So it's quite extensive, so I'll keep this brief. Um, But the Enneagram is a modern day synthesis um, of a number of ancient wisdom traditions. Um, It comes from components of mystical Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Taoism, Buddhism, and ancient Greek philosophy. Um, This modern synthesis is called the Enneagram personality type, and it's actually an ancient symbol that this personality type has sort of been synthesized into, and it was put together by a um, Bolivian-born Oscar Ichazo is the man's name, and essentially kind of... Very quickly, how it got here to the U.S. is that um, a man named Claudio Naranjo, I think I'm probably not saying that correctly, (laughs) but um, and another man named John Lilly, who Mm -hmm. one is a um, psychologist and one's a writer, they went down to South America, studied with Achazo, and then brought back what most of us, I would say, in our culture know as the Enneagram. Um, The tradition I am familiar with is that a group of Jesuits also went down to South America, studied, came back, Mm -hmm. and Richard Rohr, um, some people might be familiar with, he studied then with those Jesuits and was one of the first people to write a book in English about the Enneagram here in the U.S. So So that's not that old as far as coming here to the United States. Yeah, it's very, very ancient, again, from these ancient traditions, however, it wasn't synthesized into this modern day Enneagram personality until I believe it was the fifties and sixties in South America. So Chad, how did, how did you get into it? How, what was your exposure to it? Yeah, great question. And just to add a, a, a brief uh, sentence to what Kimberly shared, the Enneagram is this system of like nine personalities and, and you can kind of self-test or work with someone to understand which number you identify with. Yeah. Um, so I first learned about the Enneagram uh, through a number of people active in the congregation I was pastoring in mm. Lancaster a few years ago. Who? So we were kind of hearing about the Enneagram and at the same time, my wife and I were going through a period in our marriage where we felt like we needed some kind of renewal and fresh yeah. language for how we were approaching our relationship together. 
And we're kind of hearing about this, so decided to work with a spiritual director connected with our congregation to do a weekend-long workshop on the Enneagram. So we did this, like, crash course in, like, 36 (laughs) hours of learning the system, kind of going through a process of identifying which number we were connected with, and, and then also kind of digging into both, you know, more detail and understanding of, of, of those personality types, but also how our two in particular work together and did that in a retreat setting where we could kind of debrief with each other and relax with each other and kind of process some as well. And we, I mean, we found it this incredible language for understanding our relationship that we've also applied in, you know, careful ways to other relationships that we have, um, other friendships, other work relationships. Yeah. It, it is really interesting, and I feel like it's very complex. So I, I wanted to ask you, Kimberly, if you could explain some of the terminology. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when we did the debriefing, some of the, you know, like words like triads and wings and things like that, I, you know, I understand that as a nine, that means I'm a peacemaker. But then some of the other terminology is, is was a little complex. So yeah, yeah. So I think, um, the Enneagram is actually very, very simple, mm-hmm. but it has a lot to it. And yeah. it can be very subtle and very complex sort of at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so also just to say, there's a couple different schools of thoughts or a couple different streams that you could learn the Enneagram through. So this is just one of them. So if you know the Enneagram and this isn't the terms you've used, um, it doesn't mean you're wrong or I'm right Mm -hmm. or it just sort of there's different ways to look at it um so I'll just go from what I know and then see if it resonates or not with those out there listening um the first term I would say is your home base or your basic personality type which Chad said was the Enneagram is these one through nine so essentially you would have one of those numbers one through nine um However, you will find a little bit of all the numbers in yourself as you listen to yeah. each number. You'll find a little bit of yourself in each, but you will have one dominant type or one dominant number. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing you might hear of are centers or triads. And that's where um, the, the nine numbers are divided into threes. So three groups of three. And those groups, those centers, have common assets and common liabilities. So eight, nine, and one would be the instinctive body center. Two, three, four would be the feeling heart center. And then five, six, seven would be the thinking and head center. So have I lost anyone yet? Okay. (laughs) No, no. I got to write this down. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. So the, so if I'm a nine, that means that my triad is so you would be the instinctive okay body center okay gotcha so like eight nine one you would take the world in more through your body more through your gut okay um and then each center has a a dominant emotion that goes with it and so we talked about this yesterday sarah would (laughs) you like me to share yes please (laughs) um eight nine one dominant emotion is anger but that gets expressed differently in different those different numbers so for example an eight's anger is straight up it's anger you know they're angry they're not going to try to uh not let you know that a nine's anger you would actually try to stuff it and so you wouldn't necessarily ever see very much a nine angry but it will come out in cynicism or passive aggressiveness um yelling at the car in front of me because they can't hear (laughs) possibly (laughs) i've never done that (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a couple more terms that might be helpful. Um, each number will also have, you'll be able to look at your wings. So for example, I my dominant number is a four. And so the number on each side of it, think of a wing, mm -hmm. I would either have a five wing or a three wing. Some schools of thought would say you have an equal of both. Uh, the school of thought that I've learned from is that you either have a, sh a more dominant wing. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially with wings, it could be your first half of life, you have a more dominant wing. So for me, I had a more dominant three, a little bit more of an achiever mm -hmm. type. But then when I entered my second half of life, so not chronologically, but sort of that spiritual when I began to wake up and become mm. more aware, my wing, and this will happen, shifts usually, not always, to the, to the more dominant other number. So mm. then my wing shifted to a five. So I became a little bit more um, internal, a little bit more withdrawn. And then eventually at the end of your life, you sort of have balance in okay. the two. Interesting. Yeah. And wings are not so much to do anything with. They're more there just to inform you, just to simply mm -hmm. notice and, and give you a little bit inf more information about how you might be behaving. Yeah. Are there other terms that, so wings, triads? Oh, did you talk about, what about integration and disintegration? Yeah. So there's um, about two or three more. I'll touch on two okay. in more depth and then there's two I'll just not even go there because I'm sure some of you are already overwhelmed. Um, I know when I first learned the Enneagram, it was so wonderful, but also so overwhelming yeah. all at the same time. Yeah. Um, but so each number has a level of development, levels of development that you're, you're constantly can move through at any point. So those would be healthy, average, and then unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And at any point, even throughout your day, you could be in any one of those levels. Um, what helps bring balance and sort of um, integration into your number is this idea of what's called arrows. And so if you, you know, Google Enneagram, you can see the symbol, it's a circle, and each number has two arrows that it points to, two other numbers on this circle. Um, so again, for example, as a four, um, my arrow of stress, so the times when I'm stressed out, when there's stress in my life, I will go to a two. And I'll actually, I won't become a two, but I'll take on some of the traits and characteristics of a two. Yeah. Um, and then in security or when I'm feeling healthier or growing, my arrow, my second arrow in security points to a one. Mm. So I will take on some of those behaviors, some of those characteristics. So that's the arrows, what, okay. what we talked about the yeah. other day. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Then there's things like um, stances and subtypes. I won't even go there. That just adds a whole nother <laughs> level. That's like Enneagram 4.0. Um, but if you begin to research this, you might come across those terms mm. too. Okay. Cool. You knew all that stuff, right, Chad? <laughs> you I'm just nodding along. <laughs> Yeah. Well, all right. Let me ask you, Chad. Mm -hmm. What, what do you, what did you find were the benefits? You alluded to it a little bit, but what do you think? Yeah. What would you tell yeah. listeners? So I think a couple things that are beneficial. Well, one, one that is both beneficial and I think a challenge of the Enneagram is that 
unlike I'm I'm thinking of like the Myers Briggs personality right. type, for example, which is um, a a different kind of resource, and I think many of your listeners might be familiar with through work settings where you where you may mm -hmm. you know kind of identify on the Myers Briggs for the sake of understanding better how you function at work yeah. or like a disc profile that similarly is focused on kind of behavior more mm -hmm. than internal motivations and things like that. Mm -hmm. Unlike those systems, the Enneagram is very introspective yeah. and I would say a vulnerable kind of tool, yeah. it, meaning yeah. like you, you kind of go through this personal journey of self-understanding as you, as you connect with one of these numbers and and so for me, uh, especially kind of embarking on this with my wife to kind of learn about each other in a deeper way mm -hmm. was really an appropriate tool. Sure. And for intimate relationships can be really appropriate. I think can also be really valuable for workplace relationships, mm -hmm. especially if, if a listener has someone that they work with very closely, you know, in an everyday kind of basis or in a really like deeply collaborative kind of relationship. But there's some vulnerability to it that I think yeah. can be challenging. And I, so I think one of the things I think about when I think about taking the Enneagram into workplaces is I, I would think every person needs to be on board with the idea of yeah. being vulnerable with each other. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. something you're going to, you know, a supervisor is going to tell their team, like, you need to do this whether you like it or not, right. because it will be good for you. Yeah. It's not that kind of yeah. system. Mm -hmm. um, at least I haven't experienced it that way. Um, I mean, certainly another benefit, we've been talking kind of generally about the system, but the number I identify with is a six, mm -hmm. which I think the loyalist is often a, a label put with that one. Um, another label that's like seared in my mind from one of the many handouts I got in that first <laughs> workshop was this number was labeled the ego coward, <laughs> um, which, which I always think of because it is both like very descriptive of of how I function, but yeah. also this like kind of embarrassing label to carry around. And I think that's part of what, you yeah. know, the vulnerability of the Enneagram mm -hmm. is that you, it pushes a person to look at like, not just how do I behave and how do I behave under stress or in ideal conditions or all these things, but it's like, what are like the deep, like kind of mm. in my being, in my soul motivations that were formed really early on, yeah. you know? So for, for me, my understanding is each number has a kind of, a, kind of a motivating ethos or motivating yeah. emotion, you know, for sixes, the motivator is fear. And like, yeah. it's not necessarily like a fun thing to come <laughs> to terms with, oh, the thing that motivates me really like more than anything else is fear. Like, yeah. why is that? And how do you move past that in settings where I don't need to be fearful? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have found that to be illuminating in ways that have been deeply beneficial, but there's also this, like, you need to kind of hold lightly these motivating yeah. pieces of who you are, because mm -hmm. they're, it's kind of deep-seated stuff. Yeah, I, I really, I have a similar feeling with my, you know, emotion of anger, like the peacemaker is like, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm, I'm not mad, I promise, mm -hmm. you know, so it's almost like, it's, it's a little scary to, to have that sort of out in the open, and, and sort of read about it, but it's so helpful. I mean, I, I feel like there's some relief to it too, to say, yeah, I do experience that mm -hmm. emotion. I need to, you know, it was really helpful, Kimberly, for you to say, to talk through some of the practices that nines can do to kind of get to the healthy place versus, you know, the unhealthy place. So 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the vulnerability of it, but it also is, that's the freaky part of yeah. it too, definitely. So if I might add another quick piece to that, one of the, one of the things that I've observed is I think many people, when they first like figure out which number they identify with, almost the immediate reaction is like, oh no, I don't like that one. <laughs> right. um, and so yeah. I, which I think reflects back some of that, like you see reflected back almost immediately yeah. some of the internal stuff that's hard to hard to come Mm -hmm. to terms with and to see it brought to the surface can feel really vulnerable Um, but what a great tool to kind of especially if you're working with someone who's facilitating that process to say Mm -hmm. well like so what's that about like you know let's let's just kind of live with this for a little while Mm -hmm. and see if as we explore it you maybe understand whether that because you can always you know in the end say no that number really isn't me something else maybe is more true to who I am Mm -hmm. but I found in that exploration of just like living with the characteristics I saw reflected back in that kind of six descriptors like oh yeah that's that's more true than the other eight numbers (laughs) so let's like work on what that's about yeah Yeah. that's great my partner and I, we both signed up for the Enneagram Institute. Um, mm-hmm. They have, you can sign up for their emails. And that is, you know, Chad, what you were saying, I love about the Enneagram is it really focuses on your shadow side. Yeah. And the idea that the more we can embrace our shadow sides and say, you know, I'm not going to try to push that away anymore or ignore that. I'm going to let it come to the light. The more that mm-hmm. this can be transformed and that yeah. I can become a more integrated whole person. Anyways, my partner and I, we sign up for these emails that you get on your number. So you can go there and say, I think I'm a four. I'm going to sign up to get the four emails. And they're just a sentence or two long every day in your inbox. But they're harsh. (laughs) You know, it's like, as a four, you can be moody and irrational. Notice this in yourself today. And so, like, the two of us will just, like, forward them to each other and be like, Thanks, Enneagram, (laughs) because it's exactly, you know, what we had a discussion about the night before. And because it's, you know, the person I'm married to and live with, Mm -hmm. he gets to see those deep, vulnerable, darker parts of me, Um, but learning to hold them in in a more gentle way. Yeah. 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 That's great. Well, I would say, I mean, of course, the positive about that is especially when you're talking about like a life partner that you spend every day with and so much like vulnerability with you're going to see this stuff one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And so to have a language put to it and to be able to see in one's partner and, you know, not to like begin to view a partnership through a set of labels, but to say, Oh, maybe like this is what's going on Mm -hmm. behind that like curveball (laughs) argument we just had that I don't understand, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what are the like motivating fears or the motivating emotions going on that um, we have certainly found that we have more tools for understanding each other because there's this Mm -hmm. kind of these layers of things going on underneath that we have a different window into with each other yeah yeah were there were there other benefits that came to mind Kimberly um gosh I just think there's so many it's hard to narrow it down but um yeah I would say I know I personally got into the Enneagram through my spiritual direction program, Mm -hmm. just exposed to it where then I was like, oh, I just want to learn more and more and more about myself. Mm -hmm. Again, about these maybe harder sides of myself that I wasn't aware of. And then got into it with, you know, thinking about getting married. My partner and I really started looking at Mm -hmm. one another and using that to work together. But I would say more recently in my life, um, looking at it now in my work environment, like getting to know 
where I work, people are becoming more aware of their numbers. And Mm -hmm. so getting to be like, oh, wow, maybe that's why I have a disagreement with this person because they, um, they actually like to disagree. (laughs) That is a place for them where they feel like you, you want to engage and you want to, um, love them and enter in if you disagree with them Mm. where for me I'm like oh my gosh disagreement I can't handle this I need to leave right now (laughs) um but to what when I learned that I was like oh okay this is why this is happening Mm. so it really shifted how I worked with that person um yeah so it's helpful in that sense too yeah definitely Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about work you know we're interested in behavior and so as you think through, Chad, I'm going to direct this to you. As you think through the years since you first discerned your number, um, can you think of uh, a time when knowing your number helped you in decision-making with your vocation? It's a leading question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes. I'll use a couple examples. And I'll take this as a moment to give a shout out to a resource that's been really helpful to me. Um, There's a book, this, I mean, this is now a resource that's been out for 20 years or more. Um, I think the author is Helen Palmer and the book is The Enneagram in Love and Work. Um, One of the things I like about that resource, in addition to having a really helpful description of each of the nine types, um, it, it breaks down kind of piece by piece. So how does a six relate in intimate relationships with each of the other numbers? Yeah. Um, how does a four relate with, you know, it goes through yeah. that number by number and it's like a two or three page section on each. So that part is pretty um, su- substantial. And then it does the same thing with work relationships. Yeah. How does a six interact with all these other numbers in a, in a workplace relationship? Um, I found that to be a really helpful resource because once you, if you have coworkers who also are familiar with this system and are willing to share their number, or if you have the opportunity as a team to talk about this, here's a resource where you can, where you can look at a relationship that's maybe been challenging, for example, and do some background on like, okay, what's unique about my personality that's challenging for this other personality? What where and vice versa and where there's some opportunities for us based on these numbers and and like any good interpretation of of personality typing it's not as though there's a right or wrong answer Mm. or like work relationships that are right for sixes or (laughs) bad for sixes but there are particular characteristics of how you work together um so I have found that helpful when I have opportunities where coworkers understand this system to at least like have in the back of my mind like, oh, that person, you know, that person is, you know, here's here's some of the emotional stuff kind of underground that that yeah. person brings to, to their job. Um, here are the common characteristics of how that kind of number yeah. may respond. Um, as a loyalist, as you may imagine, <laughs> like one of the challenges is like, when is the right time to do something new um so we haven't talked about uh the the numbers on either side of a six or five and seven a five is i forget a label you'd put to that but i think of it as like the kind of scholar observer person um and a seven is this like adventurous always wanting to try new things um anyone who knows me will not be surprised that like my seven wing is not my strong wing (laughs) I love to like read and think about things. I kind of hate new things. Gotcha. Um, so for me, that's been 
that's been helpful to just have ways to reflect yeah. on that, to say if I want to be kind of a healthy whole person, I need to be paying attention to how I embrace kind of new stuff and new yeah. challenges and take some risks. Um, I tend to not be like real fond of risk, so how to embrace that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just been helpful as I, you know, I, you know, I changed job, kind of had a major vocational change about two and a half, three yeah. years ago. And uh, thanks to Work Wisdom, did some great work with <laughs> Kedron Crosby yeah. around that transition. And I think for me, that's like what equipped me to take an important risk yeah. vocationally, to yeah. do some background work and understand myself. Because um, apparently that's what I needed to take <laughs> even a small risk. It's like, okay, develop every tool I can. So anyway, I, yeah. yeah. That's great. So, and did you and Kedron do the Enneagram? Is that... Or uh, it, it's a tool that we used okay. some in our work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think more the backdrop of like, okay, if this loyalist is ever going to move on, he's going to need like every confidence builder at his disposal. So uh, Kimberly, that leads me to ask, does, does your Enneagram number change? Or yeah. should it change? Could it change? Yeah. How does that work? Um, so again, from, from the model I studied, um, but also from what I understand, most of the models out there would actually say that no, okay. you, your dominant number is your dominant number, um, that you're born mm -hmm. with, um, you're born with that way, with oh. that number. And then that informs the way you as a child interpret and take in your world. Yeah. Um, it, it informs the way you perceive your caregivers. Yeah. Um, even if your caregivers weren't the type, the wound that goes with each of the nine numbers as a wound, even if your caregiver wasn't that way, that's the way you were going to perceive yeah. them no matter what. So, um, again, this, this school of thought would say, no, that your dominant number is your number. Mm -hmm. However, depending on life circumstances, you might not be able to recognize the number you, yeah. you, because of the job you're in or the season that you're in. Or like I talked about these levels of development, you could at any point be in a very healthy level, a very unhealthy level that makes it you not look like your number at all. Then you throw in the wings, the arrows of stress and security, yeah. and you get into stances and subtypes. I mean, it's just, like I said, it's, um, it's simple, but it can be very, very complex. And so um, I always just encourage people to, if you're drawn to this, again, like Chad said, it's just a tool. Right. It's one tool in a toolbox. So if you're not drawn to it, I would say don't, don't investigate any further too yeah. much, or maybe later in your life you will be. Mm -hmm. But if you are, really just begin to read more about it. Read more about the maybe two or three numbers that you do feel drawn to. Um, a big aspect of the Enneagram is actually self-identifying. Mm. Um, and that's because the Enneagram is based on motivation, not on behaviors. So it's the why yeah. you do what you do. Um, so a one and a nine could have the same exact behavior and look mm -hmm. very similar, but we're talking about the motivation. So yeah. why a one does something and why a nine does something is very different. Yeah. And you will only be the person who actually knows that. Um, so self-identifying is a really great yeah. way to begin to, um, yeah, just bring some more self-awareness to, to you and your inner journey. Hmm. Chad. What for people that really are interested in this, um, I want to start with you, Chad. What advice do you have for listeners regarding the concrete use of the Enneagram? Hmm. I think maybe returning to something I said earlier mm -hmm. of like if you 
if if this is new and you start digging in and your first reaction is like, ooh, I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> yeah. um, well, well, I would agree, Kimberly, that like being, you know, moving on if this really isn't your thing is great because it's a it's a probing kind of tool. And if it's not your thing, that's great. But mm -hmm. maybe also being willing to give it some time and kind of listen of like, yeah. well, OK, so this doesn't sound attractive to me, but is it actually is there some truth about who I am that's here that could yeah. be valuable? Okay. Yeah. What about you? I was going to say leaning into that resistance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think actually Richard Rohr says this. If you're trying to decide between two numbers and the the one that you're like, Ugh, I do not like that number, that's most likely your number. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> go, go with that one. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say um, as you get into this, just read as much as you can. Go, Like mm -hmm. I said, the Enneagram Institute is a great, lots of free resources um, on their website and tons of stuff out there nowadays, tons of books. Just read all you can about mm -hmm. the number that you feel drawn to. For me as a four, that was not hard. A fours yeah. can tend to be self-absorbed. Yeah. So I just wanted to learn all <laughs> I could about a four and then about the others in my life. Um, so I would say learn about the number, mm -hmm. the healthy levels, the average levels and the unhealthy, and even journal about what that looks like, how you, uh, express yeah. that in yeah. your life. And then an another step would be to say, okay, let me look now at my arrows. Where do I go in stress mm -hmm. and get familiar now with that number? particularly the healthy and unhealthy levels of that number. Because what I love about the Enneagram is you have a choice in stress. You mm. can go to that number and you can choose the lower levels of that number, the non-healthy, or you can say, wait a minute, I'm in stress right now. Yeah. How could I choose as a four? How could I choose the higher levels, the healthy levels of mm -hmm. a two so that I can avoid crisis rather mm. than create more of a crisis yeah. that I might be in? So get to know your arrows, your yeah. stress and security numbers as well. Yeah, it's it's so enlightening. Well, yeah. I was just going to add a kind of affirmation of that, that even though there's a system where your number doesn't change at the core, these opportunities for observing kind of how you behave mm -hmm. when you're, I've heard function and dysfunction be other mm -hmm. kind of labels put with that. Where, where, where you go to when you're being a functional kind of mm -hmm. healthy person, where you go to when you're being a dysfunctional or unhealthy person, mm -hmm. it, it offers a lot of space for growth and mm -hmm. self-understanding sure. yeah. within a number that in, is inherently kind of set yeah. in a, at an mm -hmm. early time. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. yeah, fascinating. Well, I, um, I am so grateful uh, for both of you being part of this movement, helping world changers in the workplace, enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviors. We hope you'll subscribe. You should stream our next episode. We're going to get into organizational forgiveness so that we can become more successful, organized, confident leaders and teammates. Please reach out to us through our website, workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions, ask questions, and give suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. We're going to leave you with some roomy today. This is called The Guest House. This is one of my favorite poems. Mm -hmm. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. 
the dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. Thank you.